I didn't know I was going to get. Do you want your phone? I didn't know I was going to have an introduction. I've got all my stuff to get organized. This? No, I'm kidding. That's not all our notes. I'll talk about that later, though. As soon as we go through the folder, then we can have church. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we need to do our homework first. Um, so I'm so excited to be here today. I tell you what, uh, the Lord is so good and faithful, and uh, there's just times that you just feel like he's speaking to you, and then other times you don't know. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had the idea for the little Father's Day gift maybe a week and a half ago. And then uh, Pastor, I told Pastor Samuel, I said, well, do you want me to tell you what my idea is, or do you want to be surprised? He said, no, tell me. So I told him, and he's like, well, now then, do you have a message to go along with that? And I was like, um, I don't know. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But God is faithful, and, um, you know, I, there's so much I can say about fathers. I was blessed with a wonderful father, father-in-law. My grandparents were wonderful. Uh, my husband is wonderful, and now my son is a father. So, I mean, there's just so many good things. But I know that everybody doesn't have the same story that I do. And when I start to think about what would be the perfect father, who would be a great example to use for the perfect father? And I looked at all my Bible stories, and I can't find one. There's not a perfect father. So y'all can breathe a huge sigh of relief because you're not supposed to be perfect. We don't have to measure up to fit some particular box. Uh, our Heavenly Father certainly is perfect, and Pastor already said that. We want to be like Him, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But we don't have to be any particular way because everybody is created differently with different talents, different abilities, different things that makes you a good father for your family. And so we're going to talk today about being the world's greatest pop. And so we want to be a great pop. Um, so uh, I asked, I wanted to know from the experts what makes a good father. And so I asked Sister Esmeralda to ask her students on Wednesday night in Sunday school class what they think makes a good dad. So here's some of the answers. What makes a good dad? One person said he protects his family. That's a very good answer. We have some really holy kids back there in Esmeralda's class. So we got some real holy answers here. Jesus made him with love in his heart. Isn't that a good answer? What else makes a good dad? Well, he's good at video games. And dad buys video games for us. So that makes a good dad. This one is, you know, on the edge. Some of you may agree or disagree. What makes a good dad? He's good at jokes. Because, you know, dad jokes kind of always get a, uh. uh. He puts family first. He loves you. He's nice. He helps me get through bad things. That's the sweet one. He helps me with soccer. That's a good dad. A good dad makes you laugh. He helps you when you are scared. And then this morning I asked a couple of kids who weren't here on Wednesday night what makes a good dad. And one of them said, when he takes care of his kids. Or if he teaches them a good lesson. One other person said, to work hard, and he plays with us. And then one kid that's not so much a kid told me they would be loving, a good dad is loving, and a good dad would die for you. And then they went on to say, you know, like, if you were about to be attacked or killed, your dad would protect you and defend you. I thought that was good. And then one more holy one from Wednesday night. <laughs> What makes a good dad? He loves God with every second of his life. 
So, I mean, I don't know who said that. It sounds like a Gideon answer to me, but I don't know. Does that sound like Gideon? I don't know. But I don't know who said what. But those are good answers. But you see, they're not all the same. Because every child has different needs, and they need you. You were chosen to be the father to your children. So you have what they need. Now, we can all try to be a little better. And so we're going to talk about some different characteristics of the world's greatest pop today. What makes the world's greatest pop? And then we already said that to your child, it's you. You are the world's greatest pop to them. But we're going to, I'm going to create several three-word phrases from the letters P-O-P. And I hope that you can just take away a little something from the pop this morning. First of all, to be the world's greatest pop, you must be pious over pagan. That's my first one. Now, I had to get creative with P's. I was like looking at my thesaurus. What's godly? Pious. Pious means God-fearing, prayerful, righteous, worshipful, devoted, church-going, faithful, dutiful, moral, priestly. I could go on and on. But this is a no-brainer. No question about it. If you don't do anything else I say today, you got to get this one down. You must choose God for yourself. As a, to be the world's greatest pop, you have to choose God. Because how can you love your children if you don't know love? And God is love. So number one, without any question, you have to choose God. You have to be pious over pagan. There's a lot of things in this world that look good, but good is not God. And that's the difference between pious and pagan. Sometimes pagan things look good. It's enticing. I mean, we look throughout the Bible, throughout history, and even today, again and again and again, people are led to believe things that are false because it looks good to the eye. Go back to Adam and Eve. The fruit looked good. I bet it tastes good. But that's a pagan thought. God said no. And uh, this makes me think of Noah. So for pious over pagan, we're going to use Noah for our godly example here. Genesis 6, 5 through 10. I'm just going to read this short portion of the story. You all know Noah. Noah built an ark. In case you forgot, that's who Noah is. So we're going to look at um, Genesis. Let me look one more time. 6, 5 through 10. So the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. That's one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible to me. The Lord created us. We're his creation. And then he looked and we broke his heart. He's like, I wish I'd have never made them. Because everything they want to do is evil continually. And the Lord said, I shall wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. Then we have hope, verse 8. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Isn't that who we need to be? In the midst of the crazy, sin-filled world, can God find us? Can we be that one, that one pop who is pious instead of pagan, the one to find favor. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Noah was the only one righteous. And do you know who got to go on the ark with Noah? His family. His sons. 
So fathers, what you do makes a difference. If you choose God, your family has a chance at hope. When you make the decision to follow wholeheartedly after the Lord, to be the one in the midst of everybody else, to stand firm and stand strong and stand for Jesus, your family has hope. When everybody else is in turmoil, your family can be safe inside the ark because you make the choice to be a Noah, to be a great pop, pious over pagan. So my next pop, is power of prayer. So number one, we're going to choose to follow God. Number two, we need to have a prayer life. There is power of prayer. It's not just something that we just do, but it gives us power to live our everyday lives. Um, I think about it like this. You know, we, we want to live every day according to God's plan, but we don't always know what that is. It's scary. We don't always have the whole picture ahead of us. I'm thinking about our life like a puzzle. And have you ever put together a puzzle? And maybe not one of those little kid ones that are made of wood, but maybe like a real one with little pieces. And they're hard, and it's difficult. But you find one, and you know it's going to fit right there, and what do you do? You put it in your pocket, and you walk away and forget, wash it in the laundry, and then you never have. No, you put it there. When you know where it fits, you put the next piece in the puzzle. And that's what we need to do with our life, one piece at a time, one step at a time. And how do we do that with prayer? Because I don't know what I'm going to do on Friday. I'm not even sure what I'm going to do tomorrow, so I'm just going to worry about today. And I'm going to put this piece in my puzzle. And that makes me think of Abraham. God went to Abraham when he was still Abram. And he said, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go to a land I will show you. He didn't have GPS. There was no map. He just had to take off and walk. And as he walked, God showed him where to go. He walked by faith and in communion with God. Prayer sounds hard, but all prayer is is talking. And I know that is harder for men than women. It's harder for men to talk. But you can talk to the Lord. It's okay. And just, it doesn't have to be very fancy. You don't have to use fancy words. You just talk to him and let him direct your step one thing at a time. God told Abraham that he would be the father of many when he didn't even have one. He didn't even have one son, and yet God promised him generations. He promised him as the sands of the sea, as the stars in the sky. And Abraham, by faith, believed God because he walked in communication with him. God talked to Abraham before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. God told Abraham what he was going to do. And Abraham was able to talk to God. He went back and forth with God. Well, God, what if there's a hundred who are righteous? And God's like, you're right. If there's a hundred, I won't destroy it. But, but, but God, what if there's 50? What if there, and he went on and on and on. What if, what if, what if? Can you imagine having a what if conversation with God? But God is okay. He's okay with our questions. He's okay when we don't understand how things can be the way that they are. He's okay when we don't understand how bad things happen to good people, right? God can handle our questions. He's a good God. But life, the world is happening around us. And sometimes it touches us, right? But we cannot forsake God. We need to talk to him. Isaac learned that his father would obey God regardless of the cost. What a hard lesson for a son to learn. Isaac's like a teenager. And God told Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, Isaac wasn't just any boy. 
This was the son of promise. This was the only son between Abraham and Sarah that Abraham had when he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. He was a miracle baby, one that they didn't think they would ever have. They tried other means that didn't work out, right? Caused some trouble. But God blessed them, and they had Isaac, and then God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice him. And they make this journey, maybe three days, I heard on one thing say, they trekked to Mount Moriah. And on the way there, they had the wood, they have each other, they're talking, they had a couple of servants with them, and they get to the bottom of the mountain, and Abraham tells the servants, he said, you stay here. My son and I are going to go make a sacrifice, and we will return to you, is what Abraham said. They start up the mountain, and Isaac, a teenager, says, Father, I see the wood for the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. And this is such a picture of Jesus. And so they get to the top of the mountain, and what respect Isaac must have had for his father. Because I don't know too many teenage boys that would let you tie them up and lay them on an altar of wood. But he did. Somehow this 115-year-old man wrestled his teenager and tied him to an altar and raised up the knife. And a voice spoke, now that I see that you would not even withhold your own son, untie the boy. Don't harm him. Because God doesn't expect human sacrifice. That's what the world expects. The world wants us to sacrifice our loved ones. The world wants us to sacrifice everything we believe in. But God doesn't expect that. God just wants to know you're willing and guess what was over in the thicket? A ram. Caught by his horns. I've heard one preacher say when Abraham was walking up one side of the mountain, the sacrifice was walking up the other. Provision. My next pop. It's a bonus pop because it's God. Perfectly orchestrated provider. Even in our toughest times, God is there. Sometimes we don't see how it's going to happen. Why am I here? Why am I having to go through this horrible, horrible thing? But God will still provide if we will reach out to him. So we've got to call on him. We have to have that power of prayer. And then God will be the perfectly orchestrated provider that he is and make the provision. Can you imagine if our children could see that we would do anything the Lord told us to do? Why are we making these choices? Because of God. Because of our Heavenly Father. What a great picture that is to our future, our children, the next generation. So that's our second pop. And a bonus pop thrown in from the Lord. And my next pop is the pastor of passions. The pastor of passions. As a father, you are the pastor of passions. Certainly your children inherit things from you. They inherit their looks, maybe their hair color, their height. Maybe they inherit their eye color, your chin, your nose, your linebacker legs. I always said I had my daddy's linebacker legs. I don't know why. My sister got my mom's rangerette legs, and I got my daddy's linebacker legs. But it's just genetics. It's just how it goes. We inherit things from our fathers. So... What, not only physically do we inherit things, but we also inherit their other traits. Not just biology, but personalities. That can be good, bad, or ugly personalities, right? We inherit that. Our passions, our talents, whether we do it intentionally or not, our children are watching us. They're watching you and emulating what they see. If you're passionate about fishing, hunting, golf, video games, working in the yard, whatever your job is, your work, our children learn that. They take notice, and oftentimes they participate in activities that they think that you might be proud of them if they do it because they just want to make you proud. 
So it's not just your passions for hobbies. They also notice if you're passionate about other things, like maybe you're passionate about your marriage, or you're passionate about going to church, or you're passionate about your relationship with God. I have lots of memories of my father, and I'm not using a biblical example. I'm going to use my dad for this one, Pastor of Passions. I, can, I remember so many weekends seeing my dad sit in his chair with his notebook open, writing down defensive football plays, X's and O's, arrows and lines and lots of different things. I don't understand what they mean, but he had really cool felt tip pens that I thought were so cool. And I still have colorful pens to this day. But my daddy used colorful pens. The um, paper mate, you know, with the little lids that came on, all the colors to do his football plays. But I also can remember daddy sitting at the dining room table with everything spread out. Bibles, commentaries, notebooks, studying the word of God. And just week before last... Leah and I were going through some totes. We're going to go through the last three totes tomorrow. Uh, left from mom and dad's attic. And we found this folder. And it says, Leah McIntyre Science. I said, oh, Leah, it's your science folder. That's weird that mama saved that. But then we opened it. And it's not Leah's science folder. It is spiral notebook and... Xerox copies and pages and pages of daddy's notes, Bible notes. This one's on David's strength increases. No wonder I love reading about the kings so much. David and Saul and all David's sons and Solomon and just on and on and on and on. I just love the history and the Bible, but here we have David's strength increases. Why study the Bible? What kind of book is the Bible? What does the word mean? Bible mean? What does the holy mean? What is the central theme of the Bible? And it's on and on and on. Cutouts from newspapers taped in there. Beginning in discipleship, talking to God in prayer. God made you part of his family. God cares for you. Just on and on and on and on. Things to study. I'm going to treasure this folder. But I, I've seen my daddy do that my whole life. And I didn't get to sit under that. He was teaching. Matter of fact, in the front page of this spiral notebook, I guess this was his youth group that he was teaching to at the time. The president was Todd Foster. Vice President Zane Sawyer, Secretary Treasurer was Marsha Valentine. So now today, Todd Foster is Marsha Valentine's brother-in-law. Youth Committee was Renee Gowen, Venice Valentine, Todd Foster's wife now, Randy Andrews, and John Rackley. Those were all in high school when I was in junior high. So Daddy was working with the youth at that time. We didn't have a youth pastor, and he was teaching class. So I learned those things from him. And since he's been gone, I've learned so many more things. A lady came up to me at Daddy's funeral. She went to college with Mom and Dad, one of my mom's roommates. And I'd always heard that my Daddy dated all Mama's roommates before he dated her. I'd always heard that, but it's true. Uh, Daddy was a football player, Kilgore College, and Mama was a rangerette. And he dated all of these people, but she came up to me and she said, your daddy was too good for me. That's why we broke up. He was, I mean, and really what she's basically saying, he was a goody two-shoes. He was. But that's a good thing. He was a godly young man even in college. And he was good way back then. And, you know, I remember my first year of teaching, I was teaching school my first full year. I went to my alma mater at Edgewood. I drove 45 minutes. Uh, one way, and it was just too much for me. I could not drive. Jacob was a baby, but I went there. I loved it because I knew everybody, but my daddy told me <laughs> he was always my daddy. <laughs> Even though I was a grown-up, he said, I was probably 23 years old, and he said, uh, I better not ever walk in that teacher's lounge and hear you talking about t t 
students and other teachers. I mean, and when Daddy told you, I better not ever, then you just didn't ever. <laughs> and so when Lee and I were going through, I found this letter um, from Alice Woodard. So Alice Woodard was uh, only in Edgewood one year. It was my senior year. It was Dr. Woodard. It was a big deal. We had had a doctor my junior year for English, and then he left. He only lasted a year. And then Dr. Woodard came my senior year, and uh, she was my senior English teacher. We learned so much from those two doctors. I mean, I was college was nothing compared to my junior and senior year of high school because they were so good. And she, I found this letter. It said, um, hey, Jim, just a note while I'm thinking about it, I want to say thanks for setting the example for some of us who don't want to be unprofessional and gossip about our students and other teachers. I'm trying to emulate your example, and every time I ease out, I think about you in the Edgewood High School lounge lunch hours when you just quietly slipped away. For me, that began to speak louder than any words could have. So he wasn't just saying don't do. He didn't do. And that's what we have to do to be a good pop. We have to be the example. We can't just tell our kids, I better not ever walk in there and hear you doing this. He didn't do it. And when other people started doing it, he excused himself. He left. Wow. I want to do that. The other one was my Dr. Parrish I told you about my junior year. He was probably maybe 30, and you're teaching 17, 18-year-old kids. Maybe, I think he was 30. He had got his doctorate, and we were maybe his first teaching position. And he was a little effeminate. He was. And uh, he had some trouble. And I never knew this when I was in high school. But he told me later, because we, we still keep in touch, and he said, your daddy helped me so much with discipline. I think daddy even disciplined for him on a couple of occasions when the boys were just so mean to Dr. Parrish because of his personality and how he acted. So uh, makes me happy to know that my daddy was that. Also, he was a marriage counselor he, that I didn't know anything about. My mom told me after he had passed away about this couple that was at Edgewood and uh, was having an affair. And the man came to my dad, and my dad sat him down and told him, you can't do this, <laughs> you know. And those people are married to this day. He, he broke it off, and they were able to talk and work and work on their marriage and do some things and really get things right. So I'm proud of my daddy, and I'm proud of who he was and to have heard these stories. Because as a, as a child, you don't know what the adults are doing or talking. You, I mean, you just don't have – how many of you have an opportunity to go and work where your parents work and see their work ethic? We just don't normally have that. So what a blessing that was to have those stories passed on to me via letters or at the funeral, or whatever. But Daddy was a pastor of passions. He was known for his 20-second uh, fits. <coughs> and so in classroom, every now and then, you just have had enough, and you have a little 20-second fit, and everybody calms down, and then everything is back to business. And I've probably had a few of those 20-second fits as well. Jeannie will always say, we're a little afraid of Aunt Amy. <laughs> and I don't want them to be afraid of me, but he is a passer of passions. And I want you to think about, before I go away from this one, what are you passionate about, men? What is your passion? Because your kids are watching you, and it's never too late. It's never too late. This next story is not mine, but I'm going to tell it. It's my sister-in-law's story, uh, Debbie. She's not here this morning. They're traveling home from vacation today. But her dad was not a Christian when her and her mom and her dad married. And he, he was 
an alcoholic, probably. I mean, he got, came home and got drunk every day. And he would, they would, Sister Robbie would get up and get ready to come to church, and he would be passed out drunk on the couch. But Sister Robbie and Dory and Debbie would come on to church anyways. Debbie told me that she can remember how, you know how you play pretend? I would do pretend school. My parents are school teachers. Debbie and Dory would have pretend church. And they would pray in their closet and intercede for their daddy to get saved because that's what they heard their mama doing. They had pretend church. But that wasn't pretend. That was real. God heard those prayers. But to them, the little girls, they were playing church. And they were going to pray and pray for their dad because that's what their mom would do. And I think it was 13 years, wasn't it, Jill, I think? 13 years before Brother Brady got saved. But if y'all know him, he's one of the founding members of this church. And uh, Brother Brady is a great man of God. If you were here for the uh, 50-year anniversary celebration, you got to hear from him firsthand. If you weren't, you can go back and watch it online. A mighty, mighty man of God. So it's never too late to change your passions. Be the example that your kids need to follow. Follow. Little country coming out. You know where I was born, raised. (laughs) Be the pastor of passion. Be the world's greatest pop to your kids. But you can change it if it's not where you need to be. It's never, never too late. And I love that because we all know him. We have to determine in our heart to make it great. Another pop, and I only have a couple more, two more. Another pop. And I had to really use the thesaurus for this one. Proprietor of possessions. Proprietor of possessions. I'm talking about a legacy for this one and an inheritance and a legacy. I was trying to come up with P words. One of the definitions of father is one that originates. You are the proprietor. You are the originator of your story. Your family begins with you. So what are you giving them? What are you letting them possess? Um, Tuesday morning, Sister Tracy did a great job. She talked about there being a story to everybody's name. Every name has a story. And certainly in the Bible, every name had a meaning. And she says some of these names were just one-liners. One of those particular one-line stories was Jubal. It says, and, his, and he had a son named Jubal. And Jubal was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. That's it. That's all we know about Jubal. But if it weren't for Jubal, we would not have a keyboard here today. I mean, isn't that amazing? The father of all that handled the harp and organ, Jubal. So you are the originator of your family. What are you originating? <laughs> what are you giving them? It's important for you to leave something for your kids to carry on to the next generation. It does not have to be money or fame. Thank goodness, right? As a matter of fact, each person will have a different story. And I want us to look at King David for this one. We're going to run to uh, 1 Chronicles 22, and I'm going to read 5 through 19. 1 Chronicles 22, and I didn't bring any glasses up, so that's why I'm holding my Bible weird. 5 through 19. David said, My son Solomon is still young and inexperienced, and since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, Famous and glorious throughout the world, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. Then David sent for his son Solomon and instructed him to build a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel. My son, I wanted to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God, David told him. But the Lord said to me, you've killed so many men in the battles that you have fought. And since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace. 
I will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. And I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in the building of the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. I have worked hard to provide materials for building the temple of the Lord. Listen to this. Nearly 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, and so much iron and bronze that it cannot be weighed. I have also gathered timber and stone for the walls, though you may need to add more. You have a large number of skilled stonemasons and carpenters and craftsmen of every kind. You have expert goldsmiths and silversmiths and workers of bronze and iron. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered the leaders of Israel to assist Solomon in this project. The Lord your God is with you, he declared. He has given you peace with the surrounding nations. He has handed them over to me, and now they are subject to the Lord and his people. Now seek the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Build the sanctuary of the Lord God so you can bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy vessels of God into the temple built to honor the Lord's name. Now I know that's kind of lengthy. But I just think it's so interesting because David had a desire to build a house of God for the Lord. I remember when David first had this idea. He called for Nathan the prophet. He says, I have a great idea. This is me kind of paraphrasing. This is Amy's version. I have a really, really great idea. I want to build a house for the Lord. I want to build a temple for the Lord. And Nathan went back and the Lord spoke to the prophet Nathan and said, would you build me a house? He told him to go tell David. Would you build me a house? I can just imagine that the Lord is like, what? You mean you're thinking of me? That is one reason why I think that the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. David was not perfect. Man, he was certainly not perfect. He made some big mistakes. Like some of the, two of the biggest ones. Two on the top ten list. Of the biggest things you shouldn't do, adultery, murder, David. But he is a man after God's own heart, and I believe it's because he thought of God. God's like, would you build me a house? This whole time I haven't had a house. I've been content to live in a tent. That rhymed. I didn't even plan it. But David did want to, but then God said, you know what? You've shed a lot of blood, and this has been a, 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 a war time. But there's going to be coming a time of peace, and I would like your son to build the temple. Did that make David angry? No, because a father wants his son to do better than him. A father wants his child to be able to exceed all the things he's done and do more. I want you to have more than I've ever had. I started this. I'm the originator. I'm the proprietor. But I want you to have more. And that's what David did. He's like, I've gained 4,000 tons of gold, 40,000 tons of silver, so much bronze and iron, you can't even count it. I've gotten quite a bit of wood. You might want some more wood. But I just think it's so interesting, all the things that David did to prepare his son Solomon to build the temple of the Lord. And so we're not building temples, but whatever we're doing, we want to be preparing our kids to take it and take it a step further. We're the originator, but to be a great pop, we have to prepare the possessions for our future. Whether it be fame, money, talents, abilities, whatever you're teaching them to do, soccer, video games, whatever you're doing, you want your kids to do more. You want your kids to do better, and that makes a good pop. And then the final pop that I want to talk about is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Now, Jesus is our Prince of Peace. But I believe that the 
father is the picture of Jesus to the family. Because he represents what the father should be. The Bible tells husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In the same way, I think he's called fathers to be what our heavenly father desires to be for us, but on earth. And that's what leads me to this next person. I mean, if I, ha- I did look up lots of other Ps. Let me just list. I mean, we have protector, permitter, playful, pillar, the one who is, wants us to be proud. But I think we can all strive to be a prince of peace. That could be um, sometimes being the peacemaker, like the disciplinarian, the one giving the law, and also the referee. If you have more than one child, probably even if you have one child, you still have to be a referee. (laughs) Because there's times that you're going to argue with the wall, if that's what it takes. But this all led me to think about Joseph. Joseph as in Mary and Joseph. Jesus' father on earth. Now, this was not Jesus' biological father. And sometimes, especially in the world we live in, there are lots of times where you may have to be a father to someone that's not biologically yours. But you can still feed into those children as if they're your own. We have a good example of that. Joseph was a real man with real feelings and everything. We don't know a whole lot about him, but what we do know about him is really good. The Bible says he was a righteous man. When he heard about Mary being pregnant, he could have had her killed. He had every right. He could have killed the promise of God. But he was righteous. Before he even ever heard from an angel, he had already purposed in his heart to protect Mary. That is a peacemaker. Matthew 1, 19 says he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace Mary publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He acted righteously even before he knew. He already made the decision to protect her even before he was visited by an angel in his dreams. And then there was Jesus. Joseph loved Jesus. He loved him as if he were his own son. And he taught him his trade. He taught him how to be a good carpenter. He taught him to love the word of God. Do you think that Jesus just automatically knew all the scriptures because he was God's son? No, he was man. He had to be taught the word. So where did that come from? His father. His father made sure he had the education he needed. And then he taught him how to go to the Sabbath, go to the, uh, what's it called? Synagogue on the Sabbath. And how to make the yearly treks to Jerusalem for the festival and Passover. And it was on one of these trips when Jesus was 12 years old that Joseph lost his son. No, he literally lost him. He didn't know where he was. He didn't die. He lost him. Joseph lost Jesus. Think about that a minute. Because Jesus was 12 years old. Now, Nathan is 12 today. He's getting ready to be 13, just a few days. But Nathan, if your mom and dad got ready to leave the church today... And they said, Nathan, let's go home. What would you do? Probably go home. Okay, because most 12-year-olds go home. So I'm thinking Mary and Joseph told Jesus, we're going home today. But Jesus didn't go. He stayed in the temple. They didn't know where he was. It was three days before they found him. Three days. Of course, you know, in their defense, they walked a day before they realized he was missing I don't know if that's really in their defense or not, but I'm just saying there is no perfect pop, okay? Joseph lost Jesus, but it's okay because they found him in the temple. And he said, what? 
didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And Joseph and Mary were like, mm, I don't think so. Because Luke 2.51 says, Then Jesus returned to Nazareth with Mary and Joseph and was obedient to them. So I don't think that they were happy that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. I mean, we look at it now and we're like, well, sure, he's God's son. He was confounding the priests. It's so cool. Mary Joseph did not think that was cool. <laughs> they were not happy with 12-year-old Jesus. Okay? So it's okay to be, to discipline your child. It's okay to um, take care of your child. It's okay if you accidentally lose them as long as you find them again. But Joseph was a peacemaker, and Jesus came underneath that authority of that earthly father. Because in reality, we know who his father was. But he submitted himself to that position that Joseph had over him, his earthly father. What respect he had to have. Because Jesus could have, as most teenagers would, you're not my daddy, right? If they have that card to play it, they're going to play it. But Jesus went home and was obedient to Mary and Joseph until he started his public ministry. So that speaks volumes to me. So whether the child is biologically yours or not, you are playing a role in their life. And they can respect you and honor you and come underneath your authority. And that makes you a great pop. So just to review, we talked about several pops this morning. The pious over pagan, that's a given. You have to have that one. Power of prayer. Oh, I encourage you to be in prayer. Perfectly orchestrated provider who our God is to us. Pastor of passions. Carry on. Let your children carry on that legacy that you have. Proprietor of possessions. Let them set your kids up to be greater than you. And Prince of Peace, you maintain the peace in your household. And you may not can do all these things, and we can't do everything perfectly, but we can all strive to be better. And we can be the best pop that we can be. I say we, you, you know what I mean. And so I'm going to invite all of our pops to come up to the front real quick. If all our pops, if you're a father in here, whether your child is here or not, you'll just come and stand across the front. We're so, so proud of our fathers. Nathan, will you go let Miss Jeannie know that we're ready for the kids to come down? Oh, never mind. They texted her. Thank you. So before we get our final little gift, We're going to have one final takeaway of the day. There is no perfect father. And your kids don't expect you to be perfect. You can breathe a huge sigh of relief. But every person in here is different with different talents, different passions, and different personalities. But each pop is the greatest pop in the world because you have provided what your family needed the most, and that is yourself. You are all your family needs. You are enough. Just be there. Your presence is all they want. So many times we get caught up in, I need more money, I need more this, I work more hours, I do more things. When all your family wants is you, just be there, and you are the greatest pop. You're what they need, what they need. So I want you to be able to go out and give them what they need, which is you, and be the best pop that you can be. So we have a cute little gift for you today, but the kids are coming down. I should have given them more warning because they love to help pass out the presents. They're ready? Come on in. I appreciate William and Salita so much. They came and helped stuff our little goodie bag for all the pops today.
Come on. We need help, children. Now, these are glass, so can y'all be really careful when you're handing them out, okay? We want to make sure every father gets a gift. So you can give it to your dad, but then you can give it to somebody else's dad, too. Okay? Use two hands because they're heavy and they're breakable. Thank you so much. They always are. They always are. You've got a glass bottle Coke. Mexican Coke. Glass bottles always taste better. Some Tootsie Roll Pops. Some Blow Pops. And some little fireworks pops, little snappers to pop. So you can be the best pop for your kids this week. <laughs> and we thank um, Waletta and Tim for providing the fireworks for us. And if you need fireworks, be sure to see them because the 4th of July is just a couple of weeks away. Make sure everybody has one. Does anybody not have one? Wave down the kids. Anybody else need one? Yay, thank you so much. All right, so we are going to go ahead and we are going to pray over our fathers. Let's all stand to our feet and let's give our dads a hand. We're so thankful for you. Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to bless our fathers. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of them feel loved and blessed today. God, and that we just can go out and be all that we can be for our families and know that we represent you in all that we do. I thank you, God, that you just bless them on this Father's Day. Let them feel your, just all, your presence all around them and keep us all safe. In Jesus' name, amen.